0: Smithy, good news, mate. Christmas is around the corner. And guess what? We're finally loaded up. We got our shit together. TheSwellians.com. TheSwellians with an S.com. Get onto it right now. Get your shit, your merch, before Chrissy fucking buff some cunt out who loves the fucking show. That's right, Vaughn. Every dollar is a vote and every dollar spent in the Swellian merch store is a vote for more rambling degeneracy. So support your independent deadbeats and spend some money in the Swellian merch store now. Ben Brown, Aussie Wright, Paul McNeil, just some of the artists we got in there at the moment. New merch drops every couple of months. It's going to be on, Smith. Here we go at last. Himad. Welcome to the greatest stories never told. Today's episode is called Barker and his bite. This one is about Dustin Barker, the great Kauaian hard man, former world tour surfer, turned mayor candidate for Kauai and uh, basically a thorn in the asshole of Monsanto, I think is the quote or something along those lines. Uh, before we get into the story, just a bit of background on my relationship with Barker. Uh, I first come across him in Torquay when I was covering a world tour event there. I think it might be my first or second ever assignment. The stab magazine i was but a 21 year old grommet, and uh i remember being at the pub there and uh you know he was in there looking pretty iry eyed uh just kind of cruising it was uh i think he might have just been eliminated from the event but obviously not a big drinker and what i remember vividly about the night is uh, a couple of piss fucking kind of pestilent bogans just cornered him and you know they were just getting too close and you could see he was uncomfortable Uh, and one of them was, you know, kind of touching him on the back and the back of the head and just invading his space and he ended up just kind of grabbing the guy by the back of his head and just giving him this very stern talking to that accelerated in intensity bit by bit until he raised a, a knee right to the guy's nose. He just, you know, kind of like a Muay Thai, knee to the face but just stopped it basically on his protruding nose hair. It was that close. Um and so yeah it was a bit of a bit of a fracard no punches thrown never kind of developed but later that night I was uh chasing a bit of tail around the town as you do and I ended up having to go to someone's house to pick up a girl like I, I was with one chick and she had to pick up her friend on the way home and so we pull into this you know quintessential kind of uh double decker house somewhere in Torquay there and uh as we pull up there's this kind of hooded figure shadow boxing in the driveway doing head kicks and uh spinning roundhouses and a, a few punches and jabs and of course it's dustin barker and we've arrived at his joint it's about i don't know 11 p.m or midnight and i just gulped and uh, we went inside there and uh you know basically all the, the kind of kawaiian crew and hawaiians they're all having a bit of a party um barker had a few of his kawaiian boys there Uh, and I remember I think Michael Ho was in there and um, you know everyone's you know just smoking joints and drinking whiskey and carrying on it was all good you know I went in there and uh, was very polite and well-mannered you know I was playing in a I was playing rugby league for a a two-thirds Polynesian team at the time and you know kind of knew my way around that world and The way to kind of navigate that world is just be polite and well-mannered and speak when spoken to, and they'll love you within a couple minutes. They're very sensitive to those kind of um, old-fashioned, you know, just ways of showing respect and manners. So I just took a seat on the couch, um, you know, uh, puffed on the doobies when they came my way and uh, watched an episode of Rage, the uh, great music television show, and kind of explained to the lads uh, what Rage was, and uh, I think Public Enemy from memory was... Brought, uh, was programming that night and so yeah, just had a you know, pretty classic night with the the quines there in Torquay. Uh I remember they had this Sultana brand box full of buds, but it, that was the local weed and they were kinda of disgusted in the local weed. They were just going like, Oh fuck, what is this shit man? Fucking shit bush bud. You know, where's the where's my where's the where's the Maui Waui or whatever they had and they'd actually brought some weed in from Hawaii and that was kind of Barker's stash, you know, the the world tour surf the guy who's putting a spread on who's you know paying everyone's way he gets to smoke the creme de la creme bud but i uh, had yeah, just a really pleasant experience and then i i crossed paths with me again in uh tahiti during the chopes event uh where he ended up in a bit of a scuffle with adriano de souza prior to their heat in fact uh there was a long kind of flat spell there at the end of the road not much to do a bit of drinking and, and whatnot going on and um yeah they ended up in this bit of a fracas. Uh, where I think Barker karate kicked him in the leg um, you know, which would have hurt given he's a trained mix, mixed martial arts fighter um, and I never really got to the bottom of what went down there, D'Souza didn't want to kind of talk about it, obviously Barker and those guys didn't want to talk about it, it was just one of them things that happened um, but I, I do know that there was all kinds of rumours of revenge in the lead up to the Brazilian leg that year and um, the most extreme of which I heard involved uh, D'Souza seeking some kind of Brazilian special forces guy on to Barker because, of course, uh, D'Souza's family's all involved in the military there. Um, so, yeah, I don't know whether any of that's true, but it uh, gives you an idea of the shit that goes on in the background of the ASP broadcast or WSL um, that you're watching on telly. All pretty classic stuff. But, um, yeah, this is Barker and his bite. Um first published in Tracks magazine back in March 2015. It was a chequered pass that delivered former world tour surfer Dustin Barker from Kauaian street fighter to politics. More chequered than any politician you're likely to find. The difference is he doesn't hide from it, nor is he ashamed of it. Jed Smith follows the kawaiian man turned world tour surfer, turned MMA star, turned environmental crusader and would-be mayor on his latest fight. Sitting opposite me in a pair of khaki pants with no shirt on, Dustin Barker has a presence alright. It's the presence of a warrior, calm, bordering on deadened, persuasive without even having to say a word. If this is how he looks at peace, you'd hate to see him mad. Barker does not have the face of a politician. If he showed up to kiss your baby, you'd probably call the cops. With his infamous gap-toothed grin, lost after his fin hit him in the mouth, not a fight, he laughs. Most howlies will tell you they're downright scared of him. That's not something he's proud of, but you get the sense he is aware of it. Dustin Barker has lived a life of conflict. He's been in one fight or another for as long as he can remember. Fights over waves in the heavily localised and often violent arenas of Kauai and Pipeline. Fights for respect from his brutal Polynesian mentors. And fights for survival in the mixed martial arts arena. He's as good at conflict as anyone you'll find. Though with age and a young family behind him, he's better at picking his fights these days. And he's picked a real humdinger lately. It's the modern day overthrow, he tells me, of the GMO corporations that have taken root in the islands. They're poisoning my island, my kids' island, he says. Barker recently launched a crusade against the Hawaiian government and GMO manufacturers such as Monsanto that he believes have corrupted it, culminating in a bid for the seat of mayor on his home island of Kauai. Raised on the breadline by a single mother who worked three jobs just to put a roof over he and his brother's head, Barker's early life was one of hardship. There wasn't always enough money for food. Instead, they'd dumpster dive, collecting discarded food from their friends who worked at the shopping centre and growing their own organic crops in the backyard. On the days he ditched school to surf, which were many, Barker would hang out by the mall and eat leftover plate lunches. Andy used to always tell me I had the biggest chip on my shoulder, he recalls of his childhood friend and late great three-time world champion Andy Irons. And I did, not having much growing up and wanting it all. I think it was my way of motivating myself to get it, he says. With his stomach full, he'd head to Hanalei Bay, one of the most violent and localized waves in the world. Also, where a surfing movement was underway that would become one of the most significant in surfing history. Everyone who made it out of Kauai came from here. We had the most competitive people in the world in one place, 15 kids that were trying to better each other, just on a mission to make it, he says. Andy Irons, Bruce Irons, Jesse Merle-Jones, Reef McIntosh, Kalar Alexander, Carmelay Alexander, Kai Garcia, Brayden Diaz, Rochelle Ballard, Kiala Kennelly, Denny Fuller, Eamon Goodwin, and Sebastian Zietz, just to name a few. Barker, remember, fights almost every day, usually between outsiders and the local Polynesians trying to keep the place secret. They'd always tell us, it's for you guys, to keep it sacred for the next generation. And I took it to heart 150%, says Barker. He overdid it at times. His teenage years became little more than surfing and fighting. He also had a mouth on him, and that was something his elders wouldn't tolerate. I was a cocky kid, so I caught my fair share of lickings. I was the whipping boy of the wolf pack, he says. They don't come any more fearsome in the wolf pack in surfing. Founded on Kauai, they arrived on the north shore of Oahu in the late 90s and today hold the keys to the most prized real estate in surfing, Pipeline. Hated, feared and adored in equal measure, depending on which side of the fault line you fall, it's their way or the cam highway at Pipe. Many believe it's a necessary evil in a world as unregulated as surfing where a single moment of carelessness at a wave like Pipeline can cause injury or death. The Wolfpack might never have become what it was if it wasn't for a fight Barker had as a wiry 17-year-old. The North Shore had been simmering for a while. The presence of Dahui, the original North Shore heavies, had melted away under a glut of travelling surfers and complicated dealings with the surf industry. Pipe was becoming a circus. People were dropping in, lives were being put at risk, the local law was not being followed. That was about to change. Barker had just been kicked out of the NSSA American National Surfing Contest for cheating on his exams. The kids he'd been staying with ratted him out. He was gutted. It was meant to be his ticket to the big time, but instead ended with his main sponsor Rip Curl tearing up his contract. Heartbroken and angry, he flew back to Kauai and took a job in construction. All the time I'm just thinking, fuck the industry. Fuck everybody. I'm just going to go to the North Shore and surf, he recalls. When the winter rolls around, he shacks up at Braden Diaz's house, the infamous Hawaiian enforcer and Wolfpack Kingpin, who Barker describes as the de guy at Pipeline in those days. Half a dozen of Kawhi's best surfers and enforcers are all in the same house. Kalar Alexander, Chava Greenley, Kai Garcia, Andy and Bruce Irons, all scrapping to make it. Diaz, who was on big money at the time, is supporting them all providing three meals a day plus beers for his whole crew. The teenage Barker arrives on the North Shore seething with rage. I was at a point in my life where I was trying to prove myself. I was a young punk and I wanted to be the man, he says. He runs into his former Rip Curl boss at a Triple Crown party at Halieva Joe's, the local night spot. They almost, almost brawl, but ex-pro and current WSL commentator Strider Wozolowski stops it. He talks some sense into Barker but Strider is not around in the morning when the two come face to face again. Pop, pop, pop. I tune him up good, recalls Barker, showing me the flurry of punches. News of the bust-up travelled quick, and soon Barker had an audience of rip-curl bosses on Diaz's front porch. They're demanding an apology from Barker, and that the teenager be reprimanded by the others sharing the house. The Hawaiians are in no mood. We have the who's who from his company on the porch, all the bosses, everything. I told them all. All you rich fucking pricks. Fuck you. While you're driving your Range Rovers, I'm eating noodle soup. Fuck you. From then on, everything changes, he says. That was the beginning of the Wolfpack overthrow, he says. Right there, a lot of people, anyone who dropped in, it got super heavy from that point on. That's how the regulating started. It was always going on somewhat, but that kicked it to the next level, he says. Surfing and violence have an intertwined history, particularly in Hawaii. The most infamous chapter was of course the busting down the door saga in the winter of 1975 when Aussie surfers Rabbit Bartholomew, Peter Townend and Ian Cairns were harassed, beaten and threatened with death over a series of statements they made in the surfing media. The Australians had made the mistake of expressing their desire to dominate Hawaii's waves and demonstrate their supposedly supreme ability over local surfers. To many native Hawaiians, it was seen as another attempt by foreign forces to take away their culture. Since the overthrow of Queen Lili Uakalani by American revolutionaries in 1893, they had fought a losing battle for autonomy. Surfing, a sport which was first performed by ancient Hawaiian royalty and later exported around the world by Duke Kahanamoku, was seen as one of the strongest preserves of traditional Hawaiian culture. Any slight against it was taken seriously. Our queen was overthrown, hundreds of thousands of Hawaiians died when the white man came here from all the diseases they brought, and people come here and wonder why Hawaiians are so hard to understand, or this or that, Explains senior wolfpack figure and Kauai pro surfer Kala the Captain Alexander. It's because we've been fucking exploited for years, and one of the few things we have left are our waves, and you're not going to come and take our fucking waves too. You took our land, you took our fucking monarchy, he says. As the years passed, more and more foreign surfers made their home in Hawaii, including Brazilians, some of whom were masters of the fighting style jiu-jitsu. One such master made his home to... Made his home on Kauai, opening a gym and teaching a number of local surfers the martial art. Among them was North Shore enforcer and former Kauaian pro surfer Kai Garcia, who would go on to win the world championship of jiu-jitsu in Brazil. Another jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts expert from Hawaii is BJ, the prodigy pen, regarded as pound for pound, one of the greatest fighters in the history of the sport. Garcia and Penn turned MMA into something of a national pastime in Hawaii, particularly within the surfing community, where it became the weapon of choice for settling disputes at Pipeline. Barker was among the keenest enthusiasts, merging his already proficient kickboxing and street fighting skills with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to become a world-class talent. He hoped to one day emulate his fighting heroes Garcia and Penn and make it to the ultimate fighting championship – but surfing came first. His Kauai boys, Andy and Bruce Sines, were dominating the world tour and Barker wanted on. They were like my big bros. I just wanted to be like them. Be as good as them, he says. At the time he'd qualified for the tour, however, Andy was over it and Bruce had already quit. Bruce was never really wired for it, while there was little left for Andy to prove. He'd beaten the greatest of all time, Kelly Slater, on his way to three world titles and a place among the sport's all-time greats. Alone, homesick and struggling for motivation, Barker's rookie year on tour was a disaster. A string of poor results were capped by a sensational boil over with then Brazilian world number five Adriano Souza, resulting in a physical altercation at Chopu. I got so burned out that year. I didn't feel like anyone was my friend. I was an alien on that tour, he says. While doing the European leg, Barker was given some literature pertaining to the activities of GMO corporations in Hawaii. I just started diving into it, looking at the science from both sides and finding common sense in the middle, and just being like, wow, this is fucked up, he recalls. Barker was relegated from the World Tour after his rookie season. He wasn't bothered much, he was over-competing anyway. Plus it gave him an excuse to focus on his other passions, surfing pipe, cracking heads in the MMA ring and taking on the world's biggest GMO corporations. First, the fighting career. There was no doubting Barker's aptitude for brawling. His early years at Hanalei Bay ensured that. A lifetime spent surfing the heaviest waves on the planet, meanwhile, had honed his reflexes and and anticipation to a superhuman level. The lipid pipeline moves quicker and with more force than any human. His rise was meteoric. His first major outing was in the all-belts, all-weights, absolute division of the Kawaiian Jiu-Jitsu League. He He beat five men in an hour to win the event. He was still celebrating a few days later when he turned out at a friend's wedding and ran into Andy Irons, his childhood friend, with whom he'd fallen out recently and not spoken to in six months. When Andy saw Barker all beaming in his fighting belt, the tension melted away. He was like, fuck brah, you gotta fight professionally. It'll be nuts, recalls Barker. A few days later, Andy died of a heart attack in a Dallas hotel room resulting from a cocktail of prescription drugs and illicit substances. This was a different kind of madness Twenty Barker had felt before. He began to question what more he could have done. Guilt set in, then Andy appeared to him in a dream. He told me basically, brah, get over it. There's nothing you can do about what happened. After that, I was kind of just... I'm gonna fucking fight. I'm gonna fucking do it. I'm gonna live my dreams. I'm gonna do everything I wanted to do, he says. But the heartache wasn't over. While preparing for his first professional fight, another of Barker's close friends, Kawain Big Wave surfer Sion Moloski, passed away, this time in an accident at the Californian Big Wave Spot Mavericks. I was just like, oh, says Barker. It just fueled my fire to fight. Now I was representing my island, my friends and family, and my friends who weren't with us anymore, he says. His first opponent already had nine fights. It was a terrible mismatch with the inexperienced Barker on paper. In reality, it was a walkover. I choked him in under a minute, says Barker. A pro surfer from a tropical paradise with Barker's backstory was a tantalizing prospect for promoters. His second fight was scheduled on one of the biggest cards in Hawaiian MMA history at the time the Arlovsky vs. Lopez card at the Blazedell Arena, featuring BJ Penn's brother Reagan. Barker's opponent owned every amateur MMA and kickboxing belt in Hawaii. It went longer than a minute, but it was the same result. I beat the shit out of the guy, says Barker. His patented flying knee and jab fake elbow did the damage, earning him a TKO after the second. It ranked among the biggest upsets in Hawaiian MMA history. My name just went pew, he says. His third fight was a demolition. A young kid from Oahu's west side. Barker slammed him 15 times before knocking him out on his feet. The kid was tough. That's how they breed him on the west side. He went the distance, but he was real sore by the end of it. By his fourth fight, Barker was calling the shots. He mapped out his dream scenario. About on the north shore in the middle of the Triple Crown. He arrived on Oahu that winter beaming. I was too happy, he says ominously. On his first day of training, he brought all his loves together, beginning with a surf, a striking session, and some jiu-jitsu to round out the day, but it was too much. A fatigued Barker blew out his knee in the wrestling session, tearing his MCL and icing any chance of the fight. Injuries are part of the MMA game, Barker knew that, but not being able to surf for an entire winter was a cruel kind of torture. He needed something to take his mind off it. He picked another fight making a pledge to do his best to rid Hawaii of GMOs. The island of Kauai evokes a prehistoric kind of beauty. Its craggy cliffs, luscious greenery, and abundant natural resources form the backdrop for Steven Spielberg's big-budget classic Jurassic Park. Barker grew up in Kilauea, the island's organic farming capital, where he was surrounded by fresh produce and the farmers who swore by it. For a period, Handy's mother even shared a house with the iconic Hawaiian surfer and hardman, Titus Kinimaka. Today, the island is famous for its grass-fed cows and organic foods, except that most of it is exported for profit to mainland America, leaving the island to import 90% of its food. Even more concerning is the presence of GMOs in Hawaii and the large-scale spraying of pesticides. Some of them, like Aquazine, have been banned by large sections of the international community, including the European Union, forcing the chemical giants to double down on their testing in Kauai. Barker claims schoolchildren near one of the testing fields have been poisoned, large-scale die-offs of sea urchins have been reported, and hunters have told him of finding pigs with giant tumours. On a larger scale... He's also aiming to rid the islands altogether of GMO testing. A practice he believes is not only putting the future of farming on his island at risk, but the human race in general. The chemicals they make into the genes of the plants. Bugs will eat it and they will die instantly. And the crops will be weed resistant. But after two years, what they don't tell people is that it creates super weeds. So now they have to make even heavier chemical resistant crops, he says. Not to mention the potential consequences of consuming food that's been genetically engineered to kill organic creatures. What a biotoxin does is it kills a bug. When a bug eats a plant and the biotoxic gene, they pretty much implode and poop their whole stomach out and die right there. Basically, we're giant bugs, says Barker. The science is still inconclusive. Three of four Hawaiian counties have attempted to pass laws regulating pesticides. GMOs or both. Despite an attempted veto by Mayor Carvalho Jr. in 2013, Kauai passed a law requiring large farms to establish a 500 foot buffer around their operations and disclose the pesticides they were using. A move brought on in no small part by Barker's grassroots activism campaign, which brought together a who's who of the international surfing community, including Kelly Slater, along with local residents and farmers. A year later, the law was overturned by the state in what was one of several agriculture and food bills shot down by local, state and federal governments in the last few years. When Barker chanced upon a rally for the mayoral incumbent and former professional football player Cavaglio Jr., he found a number of GMO industry figures in the crowd and he cracked. All you corrupt fuckers, this shit's over. I'm running for mayor already, he yelled across the heads of the rally before storming out. The fight was on. With no financial backing, no campaign experience, and no real idea of what being a politician entails, Barker was facing an uphill battle. Though as he puts it, I'm scared for my kid's future, and when I get scared, I don't run away, brah. I face my fears. But he did run, and paddle, and swim, all the way around the island of Kauai. In scenes reminiscent of Forrest Gump, Barker's main campaign weapon was to pound the pavement and drum up local support the old-fashioned way. His epic journey involved paddling off the coast of Kauai in a traditional three-man canoe, swimming back to shore, and running around the island. 16 miles on the first day, 28 the next, 26 the day after, and 17 to round it out. Along the way, he conducted, quote, listen-ins with community leaders. A shark at every car on the island, says Barker, describing the experience as the most enlightening of his life. It was just conversations with God for four days straight. It brought me closer to the people, brought me closer to myself, brought me closer to God, and it brought me closer to the island, he says. It also brought him closer to another remarkable upset. By the end of his campaign, he was polling at 31% of the vote, earning him second place in the primaries and a shot at his nemesis, the GMO-backed Bernard Cavaglio Jr. for the seat of mayor. It was more than most could have hoped for, but it wasn't enough. Barker lost out in the end. I'm always disappointed. I always like to strive for perfection. I'm in no celebration whatsoever. I'm just learning from our mistakes, he'd said after conceding defeat. By the time I meet Barker, another day is setting on pipeline and the race for mayor is long over. His grassroots campaign was no match for the millions of dollars in political donations his opponent had to draw on. In the end, he fell 27% short of the vote required, totaling 8,195 to Carvalho's 14,688 votes. He emerges down the concrete steps of the Oakley house onto sand he first set foot on as a 12-year-old alongside fellow Hawaiian pro Denny Fuller. Back then, the pair were sleeping rough, eating out of bins and doing whatever they had to do to be near their Hawaiian surfing heroes. Today, Barker can wave to Fuller from the balcony of his top floor penthouse suite at the Ruka House overlooking pipeline. Fuller lives in the corresponding room next door, while Kawaiian pro surfer Reef McIntosh occupies the same room in the Quicksilver House a few doors down, as does Kawaiian Kai Garcia in the Volcom House. Barker's wetsuit is scribbled in dirty hand-drawn graffiti with, with the name of his sponsor, Ruka. As he makes his way to the water, wolf whistles ring out. The wolf pack still run the North Shore, and he lifts one arm in acknowledgement, raising one hand in a gesture reminiscent of their totem animal, the wolf. Barker's not proud of his past, but he's not ashamed of it either. It is what it is, and now he's moved on to a new fight, a righteous fight in his eyes. He might be a little rough around the edges, but when there's this much on the line, who else would you want in your corner? With the political thing, I'm always going to be here, he tells me. I'm gonna be a thorn in these guys' asshole till the day they fucking start doing some shit for this island. I'm ready to die for the future of my island, he says. The end.